Hey everyone, welcome back to Let's Talk. My name is John and I'm here today again with David for the Let's Talk podcast. And today we're going to be talking about Rocky. The first Rocky film, that is, that came out. What year was it, David? 74? 1976. 76? Wow, I was way off. <laughs> I don't know why I thought 73. <laughs> and it won the best picture that year. Yeah, it did. Um, do you think it deserved to win that year? I absolutely think it deserved to win that year. Honestly, the story of Rocky itself getting made is just as an incredible story as the actual film. Because, you know, Sylvester Stallone put his whole life on the line for this movie even to bet on himself to be the star of it because all before that i think all he really did was some small roles and uh i think he did some porn <laughs> yeah the italian stallion yeah i'm <laughs> <laughs> near certain that was his porn name <laughs> i mean honestly Not that I've seen him. i haven't seen them either and from what i understand you know he wasn't like uh really into it you know he was like kind of like just an actor in them or something like that <laughs> yeah yeah well that's uh, i don't know too much about it. i know that I did read that he, he had done some porn and that basically his, his name was the Italian Stalin. So when he tells you in the movie, that's where he got the, he got the name. Um, while cooking one night and you see Polly kind of looking at him as if, what? Um, in real life, even though this movie kind of reflects Sylvester <laughs> Stallone's real life, that's not totally true. Um, but I, I was actually saying that we're recording this the end of November, that the movie was actually released around this time of year. Um, in 1976, Oxford Women, the best picture of 1974, 1976, 1977. This movie is incredible to me. I, I just think this is one of the best written movies that uh, um, I've ever seen. Just the dialogue, the back and forward, the characters. I absolutely love it. I mean, this movie's in the top 10 of movies of all time for me. Oh, yeah, no, this is a great one. Honestly, I've never had that personal connection like you do. I like, I wouldn't put this like in my top like 30 or 40 movies of all time but i do absolutely love this movie it's honestly my like my mom this is one of her favorite movies of all time and my brother my brother ryan he actually named his dog uh buckus after the dog and rocky like that's his dog's name <laughs> they have more of a connection to this movie but that because of that i grew up watching this movie all the time like you said we're recording at the end of november and this movie came out in november of 1976 and it's a thanksgiving movie in a lot of ways and mm -hmm. you know you want the bird the alley and eat the bird and we were saying like you guys over in ireland don't celebrate thanksgiving that's an american holiday for us here like they always play the marathon around thanksgiving but for me i never actually would watch the rocky movies i would watch the james bond movies they always get a marathon too around this time so i always had a less of a connection but i still love this movie it's still one of the best if not the best sports uh movies of all time it has a great story and like you said it really just illustrates how sylvester stallone's life went in comparison to how you know he put it all on the line like he was just a regular guy who really had no aspirations of uh well he had aspirations but it didn't look like it was in the cards for him he just kind of he got really lucky gambled on himself and it paid off like you were saying there about canada around thanksgiving in america i think there's an awful lot of um americana about this movie and i've heard people describe it as the american dream that you can come from nothing right or realize your dreams you know and basically yes you're right that the the, the movie mirrors uh sylvester stallone's real life where he was down and out down his luck actor um stroke writer um and he came up with this idea of, of this of this guy who is going nowhere in his life is down on his luck everybody thinks he's a bum and then he, he gets this opportunity out of nowhere to fight the heavyweight champion of the world and he takes it and he exceeds everybody's expectations 
And even though he doesn't beat Apollo, he still wins at the end. You know, the movie isn't about boxing. It's a, it's about overcoming adversity. You know what I mean? It's, it's about overcoming the odds. It's about getting respect yourself and for, from other people. And it's also a love story between him and Adrian. And that's one thing I really love about this film as well. I mean, it, I suppose it's very simple in its construct. Within the first 20, 25 minutes, you're just being introduced to characters, one after the other, one-on-one. -on -one. They're not all in the same room with the same pain. You're following Rocky, but you're getting introduced to, you know, oh, here's this fader. You know what I mean? He's not very good. You know, um, he's taking a beating in the ring, but you see the rage come out of him when he gets headbutted by his fader, Rigo. Once he, once he wins the fight, he gets out of the ring. You know, everybody's calling him a bum. You're a bum. And he's asking for cigarettes. Yeah, you gotta have this one. When they have faded again, and how much did I get paid? He's getting paid peanuts to take this beating in the ring. And then from that, we move on to, for example, I think um, we meet after, who we meet after? Adrian. So we meet Adrian. And then we move on to meeting Polly. And then Mickey. And then Apollo. And, and that's, it, that's it. And then all of these kind of characters all come together again as the movie, movie goes on. I agree. I love the structure of how we're being introduced to all the characters one by one. Last time I did my rewatch of this, I really realized that my favorite character besides Rocky, obviously, it's his series, but besides Rocky, is Apollo Creed. Oh, shape nothing, man. They're afraid. Hell, they know everybody in the world's gonna see this fight and none of them got a prayer whipping me. I love how Carl Weathers plays the character, especially in this first movie. You know, like, Yes, he's cocky and arrogant, but you can see he still cares. He's obviously more in it for the paycheck. He's like, okay, you know, the guy bowed out of the fight. We need to bring somebody else in. Let's bring in, like, a local guy. He just likes the nickname, and that's why it's easy to promote. So he's not taking him seriously as far as a fighter. No. And, you know, he just picks him. He's going to get paid Rocky, which is good. It's a good break for him. But nobody ever sees him as being able to even compete with Carl Weathers, Apollo Creed like Carl Weathers Apollo Creed he's only concentrating on the promotion you could see when they both enter the ring how Apollo Creed's got the big grand entrance while Rocky's just the guy and all he really wanted to do even though like you said he doesn't win in the end he does win in the end because he was the first guy to take him to the distance he was the first guy to put him down and he gets the girl. That's really what it matters to him is he gets to be with Adrian. He found somebody to be his companion. They were both lonely people walking through this world who found each other. And they just had this big moment in the ring, essentially, at the very end, which I love. Exactly. And Apollo Creed, to me, is just playing uh, Muhammad Ali. Yes. <laughs> That's basically what he's doing. But I'm taking absolutely nothing away from Carl Rathers because he brought that character to life. You know, but he is kind of like playing a version of... Muhammad Ali, and you see that in the ring at the end where really fighter Joe Frazier gets into the ring, in which Joe Frazier actually, you know, fought Muhammad Ali um, three times and they had this better rivalry. But you see Creed haunting him, saying, You're next Joe, you're next Joe. But yeah, Apollo Creed is, you know, I think in the movie he's 40 and 0. I think he's had 40 nuggets. Yeah. Um, so nobody's coming close to him. You could say that he's became a wee bit kind of complacent, too comfortable. And yes, he picks Rocky after the other fighters, or well, one of the fighters gets injured. And then and then the other guy can't fight him for various reasons. So he picks this guy out, as you say, maybe because of his name and because of uh, the reason behind the fight, the bicentennial of uh, America. And it's on January 1st. And he sees this Italian stallion as a great a promotional piece for him. You know, and it's all about creed. It's all about promotion. It's all about his image. You know, but I don't think, I mean, uh, you can tell he's not taking Rocky seriously at all. There's a scene where Tony loses his trainer. Tony's brilliant. 
I love where it. he's watching Rocky on the TV when he's pounding the beef. Yeah. And he says, you got to come and see this guy. You know, he, he, looks, he looks business, or he looks like he means business. And you hear a pal in the background. He's talking about, you know, jargon about emotion. And, you know, he's the fighter. He's talking like a promoter. You know, and you hear him saying, oh, yeah, I'm serious too, Tony. And he, he, then you hear him saying to his secretary, uh, could you bring me more coffee? You know, instead of training, he's sitting there drinking co- coffee and doing promotion when he should be training for the fight. Yeah, I love that you brought up Tony because he's another great character that they end up using throughout the series. I love him and Apollo's relationship because he is. He's like, yeah. I'm here to concentrate on the fight. That's what you should be concentrating on too because regardless of all the promotion that you could do, <laughs> you're sitting here drinking coffee, putting weight on. This guy's in the streets training right now to fight you, and that's all that's on his mind. Just take him a little seriously because watching him fight, you know, maybe he's not the greatest of fighters, but Rocky can take a beating. He can take a beating. He's like everybody, like just like you said with Americana, like taking a beating but getting back up and just continuing on in the fight, and that was his thing. He's like, I just want to go the distance with this guy. And Apollo, eventually when they do get in the ring, Apollo realizes pretty fast that, okay, maybe I did undersell this guy, and then he refocuses up because Apollo at the end of the day, He's still a much more skilled fighter than Rocky. Yes. But he just doesn't have the heart of Rocky. This is hanging in front of him. He's going to take it. You know, Apollo already got his chance. He's already, like you said, I think 40-0. Regardless, he's still Apollo Creed after the fight. But no, every, he wants to make sure everyone remembers the name Rocky after this fight. Yeah, well, Rocky wanted it more. Rocky was uh, more raw, and I think that's what Tony's seen. Tony has his trainer seen, it, seen this beforehand. We can see the evolution of Apollo um, not the evolution, I suppose he's all, he was always arrogant, but he becomes, and, and, and he does a great job, um, hard weathers of, of crafting this three-dimensional character in the first movie, but as the, the movies go on, you see more about Apollo and his life, his background, and his, his trainer as well, but we'll go into those another time, because I love this series, and I, I wouldn't really want to go into like the sequels and leave Anaheim out of this one, you know what I mean, John? So, yeah. But the thing you're saying there about Tony is, Tony tells him, well, after the first round, when he puts when he puts Apollo down, Rocky puts him down, which I think is a long count, by the way. It I is. I think he was down for longer than ten seconds. I think Rocky won that fight. But <laughs> we wouldn't get a movie. <laughs> What's that? We wouldn't get a movie if he was down after what ten count in the first round. <laughs> I mean, Rocky would have won, and that's it. We still get the sequel. We still get the rematch. But the Rocky starts off with champion. Yeah. And maybe Rocky doesn't train as hard in the sequel, and then Apollo comes in and bothers him. But, uh, that would be a good series. Yeah. Build up to Rocky versus Apollo 2, and then the third one, we get the rubber match. Could have worked. Could have gone a different yeah. route. Yeah. Good yeah. on the trilogy. Yeah. You know, I'm still sitting there going, I want my shot. I want my shot. But, um, <laughs> you know, but you see Tony Santner, this, this guy is going to show. He thinks it's a down fight. Finish this bomb, and let's go home. Apollo comes out in that second round and gives him a tremendous beating, but he just couldn't get him out of there, and Rocky just kept coming Adam and um, give us started to give Apollo as good as he got as the fight went on, and it was a long, grueling battle. And then, as you say, Rocky earned his respect and got his the dirt. But one thing I must say was when I was actually um, doing a wee bit of research on this was that you know, as I said earlier, there so Stallone was a struggling writer mm-hmm. or sorry, actor and, and writer, he'd done a bit of writing as well. And I think his original, original drafts were actually about an actor. And it wasn't until he went to a boxing fight. It was Muhammad Ali versus Chuck Webner. Whereas Chuck Webner was this kind of like club fighter who nobody was given a chance against Muhammad Ali. And he actually floored Muhammad Ali. But if you watch the fight, it's a trip. He actually trips him up. But Muhammad Ali just 
to get in a straight. Yeah. And Abadali got up, and Chuck Webner didn't go the distance. Ali actually stopped him. But Stallone was at the fight, and that's what gave him the idea of this is more relatable. You know, what if, what if my character was, was a fighter? And the original drafts were actually very dark. Rocky was a much more darker character. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah, and I think some one of the original drafts he throws the fate at the end. Yep, because it doesn't yeah. matter to him or something like that. So he ends up just throwing it in the end. And, yeah, probably because he thinks he can't win anyway. Yeah. But there was also another ending that was shot. In the original movie where it kind of ends with, with him and Adrian in the ring. And it just freeze frames them two hug, hugging. What actually happens is him and uh, Adrian leave. Or he leaves the ring and meets Adrian in the corridor. And they just take hands and they walk down the corridor. And they walk through all the rubbish from the actual arena in the stadium. And I was supposed to kind of symbolize that Rocky just done an amazing thing, but now that it's over, he'll soon fall back to being a nobody and he'll be forgot about. But they felt as if that wasn't the right ending and they they refilmed the end of the movie of what you see now. And that actual um, shot of that scene, it was in one of the posters. You can actually see the poster of Rocky and Adrian. There's silhouettes walking away, holding hands. And instead of him on the steps, you know, with the arms up. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome! I actually, uh, I didn't actually realize that. One thing, though, I um that I did look up. You were talking about Charles Webner. Is our he actually sued Sylvester Stallone and the movie studio, and I believe he won. They like settled out of court. He actually ended up getting a settlement for that, even though Sylvester yeah. Stallone said that never influenced him. But from what you were saying, like it's pretty obvious. Like that kind of at least played a part in it, where you should have gave him a little bit of money to give him some credit for the role. <laughs> like you know, yeah, you know what? Thanks, Stallone. There was no secret from Stallone that would see that fake and see if that influenced him. I don't know. Like I mean, it's like everything is that it's that old saying. You know, success has many fathers, failures, and orphans. And I just think that Stallone, to be honest with you, took a lot of inspiration for his characterizations from a lot of different uh, real-life events and people. I mean, if, if you're a boxing fan and you go back and you take a look at the fighters that were around in the 50s and 60s and 70s, uh, early 70s, you can see influences like, for example, Joe Frazier, who's in the movie. You know, he was from Philadelphia. He claims that he run them steps. So Stallone took that as inspiration. Do you know what I mean? If you watch The Fate of the Sandry, you know, um, Ali versus Fraser, the first one. I mean, it looks, it just looks like you have this uh, boxer up against a brawler who doesn't give you a minute to settle, doesn't give you a minute, you know, is up on cruise and personal, gets on the inside and pounds your, your ribs. You know, that that's Joe Fraser versus Ali, the first fight, well, all three fights. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So, and I don't think Stone's ever made a secret that he that he took inspiration. I mean, he has a poster of Rocky Marciano on his wall, and Mickey says him, "You remind me of the old Rock." I mean, his name's Rocky, but it, but I think his name is actually Robert. Yeah, Rocky's name is actually Robert Balboa, and he takes the name Rocky from Rocky Marciano. So the only thing is about this series is that I don't like how real life fighters come in to the Rocky universe because it makes me question: Well, where are they when Rocky's champion? Where where is your Larry Holmes? Where is your Joe Fraser? Where is your Muhammad Ali? Yeah. <laughs> they're supposed to be kind of like inspired by them. Yeah, I, I actually always, that always bothered me too because then you're starting to get into the fact that, okay, that they're in the same world, but it's the same, is it the same heavyweight title or is it like, now it's, is it a prop? We're very confused. I don't like it when they do that stuff either. Usually in most films, they try and keep that stuff separate just so people don't ask those questions, but they felt like they could do it. 
Um, I don't know why. I guess maybe that's a deal with like, hey, I want to be in the movie. All right, we'll work you in somehow. And this is the best they can do. And most people probably wouldn't even question it, right? Yeah, I think it's kind of one of those things where it's such a low-budget movie and they probably didn't have any high hopes for it. Do you know what I mean? That, oh, we can get Joe Fraser. He's world famous. Put him in the movie. You know, it's, it's, it's you know, I think that's what it is. And then what happened was, as the movies went on, like, I think the second movie, Roberto Duran's in it for a few for a few minutes. Do you know what I mean? And then by the later movies, they were actually hiring real life boxers to star in the movie with um, Stallone. But I'll be honest with you, as much as I'll be honest, I actually liked Tommy Morrison and Rocky Five. That's a different story. In the ring, Tommy Gunn only fights in the ring. Um, but I, I, I think that the actors, the likes of Mr. T and and uh, Hulk Carl Hogan, Weathers, um, <laughs> better jobs, Hulk Hogan, because they were actually actors. You know, even though they weren't professional fighters, they were they were good act well. Mr. T, debatable, he's a good actor, but he was a good character. <laughs> <laughs> he did. This is honestly my favorite in this series, Rocky Three. That's the best time Mr. T was ever an actor, even more than the A Team. I think he does. Yeah. You know, he's a very believable character, at least. You know, I always felt like Mr. T always just became a character of himself by the end of it. Yeah. Like, and then in that movie, it actually feels like he's playing a character with a, you know, an understandable background. They actually wrote him a decent character. He doesn't feel like a character. It's weird. It works. I don't go into it too much, but I do know that Mr. T's background was influenced by Sonny Liston. Think of Sonny Liston, because his background was that he was in prison, and that's where he was all this time, and he was training in prison, and he was a boxer in prison, and he'd get out, and that's how he moves up the ranks so quick. People say, well, where was Mr. T when Rocky and uh, Paul Creed were fighting while he was in prison? And I know that Sonny Liston, that's how he uh, learned where to fight, and when he came out, he was the scariest fighter of all time. He was knocking everybody out. But yeah, you know, that's one thing actually I wanted to talk to you about because all for us, like we always do the comparison and a lot of people who enjoy these types of movies or enjoy these types of actors always compare Sylvester Stallone to Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I always prefer an Arnold movie over any Sylvester Stallone movie. But what separates Sylvester Stallone from Arnold Schwarzenegger is that Sylvester Stallone can write and he can direct. You know, he's got a lot more like he he's a lot more involved in the production of these movies, writing the characters. Like he's a he's a very smart man, Sylvester Stallone. Yes, and, I, and he, he, he is. I agree with you. You know what? I don't have a kind of like you have to like one or the other. I see this to be an old time. Who you were you Stallone man or you are you um, mm-hmm. uh, Schwarzenegger guy? Look, I I like both of them. I grew up in an era watching their movies, both, <laughs> both of them. Um, but I do agree. I think that Stallone is Schwarzenegger's smart in his own way. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Businessman. Yeah, but Stallone's very smart in that way too. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Well, the difference is I don't think Arnold Schwarzenegger... I mean, you can still be smart but not be able to sit down and write a movie, right? Whereas I think Stallone is smart in the sense that he can sit down and develop a character um, with a background and a well-rounded three-dimensional character with, you know, motivations or whatever and baggage and whatever flawed characters. Like this movie here, that's what I wanted to say about the characters. Like every single character is flawed. Mm-hmm. You know, they all have conflicts with each other and with life and... And I think everybody can relate to that. Every person on this earth can relate to that because that's what life is most of the time. You know, it's conflict mm-hmm. with something or someone, you know. Yeah. Um, but I don't think Schwarzenegger could sit down and write a movie. I th- also think that when it comes down to it, I think Stallone is a better actor than Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, I know that this series became a bit cartoonish it became a bit of a caricature of itself as time and on we all know that like, if you look at films like first blood with stallone 
which is one of my favorite films of all time as well. Love that and then movie. What that evolved into, you know, Rambo two, Rambo three, they all became very cartoonish and caricatures of themselves. But if you were to turn around and say to me, like, you know, um, to me, like Schwarzenegger's best movies is Terminator one and Terminator two. I know Terminator one and two is your favorite movies of all time. Yeah. <laughs> but from an acting standpoint, I mean, you gotta say that Rocky and, and maybe Rod, you could argue are better. What do oh. you think? Oh, 100%. Sylvester Stallone's acting in... First of all, First Blood's my favorite of Sylvester Stallone's movies, and I also think he gives a world-class acting performance in that movie. I always thought Sylvester Stallone, you know, when it comes to, like, Rocky, you know, eventually, like you said, it becomes a character of itself. But the way he plays in Rocky 1 and Rocky 2, I think, are... He plays it great as far as for his acting. Like he gets a little bit out of the line, but everybody else once we get to the 1980s. But with the 70s stuff, I think he was really in tune with his acting, his writing, and then eventually I think he starts to try and compete with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and they both kind of just go back and forth with these over the top action roles, which I do love. I'm not gonna sit here and lie. I love them both. Like I kind of grew up with Arnold movies. Where's <laughs> your Christmas spirit? Arnold himself is a brand where I feel like Stallone can actually play characters. And he really did try to do that a lot more often uh, in Copland. Eventually, you could see him returning to that acting form and kind of push away, where I don't think Schwarzenegger ever really had a role like that, where you can go, you know, maybe outside of the lines, he could get nominated for Academy Award. I don't think Schwarzenegger ever had that, in my opinion. Do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah no, I totally agree with you. And I think that um, what I was going to say or two as well, actually, I meant to say was just that they've both made as you say, over-the-top cheesy action movies. They've both done that. But I don't think that Schwarzenegger has ever made a movie. I'm talking acting ways because we know that Terminator and Terminator 2 are absolutely outstanding. I'm not a fan of True Dies. I'm trying to think of any other Schwarzenegger movies. Kindergarten Cop. an action movie. Kindergarten Cop and Twins, you could argue he was playing. He brought, like, his heart to it. But it's still Schwarzenegger in a fish-out-of-water scenario, which is, like, the other thing yeah, that you can do with him. it's comedy and... Yeah, and, and, and that's what I'm saying. Although, you look at like Rocky One, Rocky Two, and uh, First Blood, like they're top class acting performances from from uh, Stallone in my in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got Arnold Schwarzenegger playing a, a robot in Term in Terminator One and Terminator Two. Do you know what I mean? And, and as much as he's really good at it, you know, it's not like an o- Oscar performance. No. Do you know what I mean? No, he has like and, twelve um, lines. <laughs> Yeah, and he's supposed to be emotionless. He's not supposed to show emotion, so his emotions are just, you know, look angry. Okay, I can do that. I'm big and jacked. It works, and I love it. It's my favorite movie, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be like, hey, give that guy the Oscar for '84. No. Yeah, and I I love like Total Recall as well. Doing Predator, Total Recall, um, Kindergarten Cop, as you say, Twins, brilliant movies. I love them all, but I think from a say a serious movie point of view, you know, I think Rocky and, and First Blood. Our head and shoulders above it, and I would actually argue as well. Rocky Three, that Stallone gives a top class performance as well. I do think there's a lot of more cheesier elements to Rocky Three than obviously the previous two. Yeah, but I still think his, his acting performance in Three is top class. And uh, the reason being is that the character of Rocky changed when he became famous, and and he's really good at playing that. Yeah, they actually, I loved, actually, that's one aspect of Rocky Three that I did love that they dived into, is how 
it changed the person of Rocky. You can see what that's what his inspiration was still on with that one was, you know, now Rocky's got money and he's kind of drifting away from yes. that person that we knew, that person who was in the streets with the people, like what they're showing in the first Rocky, him running in the streets. You know, now he's got the big house, he's got the luxury cars. He's not the same exact person, so he's playing the character a little bit different. But I think that only thing that yeah. Rocky three, I, you know, I I don't I hate Hulk Hogan, <laughs> so I really hate seeing him in that movie. Even though he does pretty good for what he is, you know, I just think it's a little bit of a step down. And I've told you guys before, and I've told you, um, I love Rocky four uh, unapologetically, <laughs> but it is yeah. very it's a just one big eighties montage. <laughs> Yeah, it's just one montage. Look, you know, I, I really hope we'll cover these, but for me, like Rocky Four is one of the lowest on on the original franchise for me. I love all of them, but the reason being is that it's just got it's got less uh, story and less character development and less drama, and um, it's action packed. It's pretty quick paced. You know, it's MTV Rocky. And that's the reason why I just think the other five, um, including Rocky Five, I like Rocky Five too, has a lot more drama in it, and I like that. Uh, the Rocky movies—that's what I want to see. No, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. I mean, it, it, it's like it's more personal taste. Like, can you compete with Rocky Four and comparing it to Rocky? Like, it, it really just comes down to taste. And if you're in the mood for like a cocaine '80s movie, or if you want to watch a real best picture winner like rocky is a best picture winner for a reason because it tells a compelling heartfelt story a great yes. sports movie an underdog story that everyone loves and there is no competition you know one is a product of the 1980s you've seen it once and you'll see it a million more times while the other one is a story that you might have seen a million times now but where did it really become famous was with rocky you know what when i was watching it again as well john i thought this a load of times about rocky the original movie it's like a lot of those movies that came out in the 70s, to be honest, like, they didn't really need sequels. No. As much as I love Rocky II, and as much as people wanted to see this story continue, to me, Rocky's another one of them movies. If they ended it there, it would still be as famous um, as it is today. It didn't need those sequels. It would have been as famous as Alien, Jaws, do you know what I mean? Any of the Exorcist, you know, any of those movies, that just did, if it didn't have a sequel, you know, it still would have been considered you know one of the best movies of of that decade a hundred percent and i mean it just captured also capturing philadelphia perfectly and one thing just to circle back to uh stallone's writing that i when i was reading about is pretty cool that he sneaks in the script because they made mistakes when they were making the movie because it only took 28 days to make was uh you know he makes mm -hmm. the comment about the red trunks well he was supposed to wear red trunks and they messed up and sent him the white ones so he had put it in the middle in the movie so it doesn't look like they made a mistake that they actually made and it's the same thing with the robe how he talks about how baggy it is they couldn't yeah. get they couldn't get it remade they only sent that robe that was that day they had to use it so he's like okay i'll just bring up that it's baggy and it works in the movie you never would think twice about it yeah listen throughout the whole movie i was doing this i, I love this movie going back to what you were saying earlier about growing up with it, your mother and and um did you say your brother as well yeah yep. so I, i'm the same like i've told you before i have brothers and older brothers and i have an older brother who's makes a rocky movies and you know, um, so he was the one that had one VHS, and I remember actually growing up in the Rocky movies. And like we said earlier, they always loved watching Rocky three and four because they were the more fast-paced, action-packed Rocky films. But the older I got, you know, I go back more to the original and the second one because to me, obviously, they are better, better movies, oh, more yeah. drama-based, dra drama-driven, great dialogue and things like that. 
and um, it is the original. Now, Rocky II for me is my favourite, but it's kind of like when we've done Raiders of the Lost Ark, we talk about Temple of Doom. Like the, the first one is without a doubt the best one. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the second one is is my favourite one. You know because obviously because Rocky wins and it's probably a wee bit more glossier. First one, not much more, but a wee bit more glossier and stuff, and Rocky wins in it. And actually, another thing that they had to do as far as like because they had such a small budget, um, and you know. 28 days to shoot when they do the ice skating rink scene when he goes on his first date with uh adrian the reason why nobody's there and they sneak in that little thing how he paid the guy off to let him in is because they didn't have the money to hire extras they wanted to do it in a public setting they just couldn't afford it i think that's like in my head other than the fight scene i always think of that scene i always thought that was one of the most romantic scenes in film i i really love their connection because she's so hesitant to get with him from the beginning you know you can argue that he's a little bit too persistent with her you know, I still think that this scene is amazing. What do you think of it? Over the years, like, I've obviously don't watch documentaries about Rocky and stuff and things like that. I've been watching Rocky throughout my whole life, you know what I mean? Maybe once a year or once every other year. And you're right, it, it's astounding how much kind of, like, how low budget this movie was, that they were working on a shoestring, and that they were basically, like, only had so many days to complete this movie. And it seemed to be that they were coming up against these kind of problems all the time, and so they were having to rewrite scenes and change dialogue and things like that. And there are movies and things like that. But I remember hearing uh, filmmakers say that filmmaking is solving problems. Is that if you if you will never ever go through a day when you're making a movie where you won't come up against a problem. And you got to wake up in the morning thinking, how am I going to solve today's problems? And obviously, you know, this just being a drama, you know, there's no specific facts or anything like that, really. You know, it's just about rewriting certain scenes and dialogue and things like that. And as you say, the, the ice skating scene is actually one of those scenes. And I, I believe that actually um, that scene originally took place in a cafe. And the, and the sat there just talking back and forward. And it was the director, John G. Avelson, that says, no, we've got to make it a bit more interesting. Why don't they go bowling? Or why don't they go to an ice, ice skating rink? And we'll just keep them moving, you know, so they can have this back and forward. And yeah, when they actually go there and they couldn't afford the extras, I actually love that scene because it, it becomes very comical then. I love when he goes in and he says to the guy that's cleaning up, you know, yeah. he says to him, look at this girl, you know, uh, she's not very well. The doctor says that she's got the ice cream is the best thing for her. <laughs> she looked well to you. She's going to stop there. And, and, then, and then he says, I think he says like 10, 10 minutes, 10 bucks or whatever. And um, he pays him, but you hear him in the background, counting down, like, you know. I'm going to show you something. Seven minutes. Yeah, originally. Eight minutes. <laughs> seven minutes. Like, we once did you see, like, Rocky kind of looking as if, yeah and actually it's a well-written scene I, you're right the comical moments in it are, are great i do love that it's just perfect and talia stryer plays her character great as well you know i i always liked how she plays adrian and she has and it's such a different role compared to her role in the godfather you know yeah. i i really find that and i you know i prefer her in honestly in these movies like she what she becomes in the godfather too is just you know a terrible person in, in the end but you understand why we'll talk about the godfather another day but yeah. you know how she plays adrian as this like innocent girl scared nervous all the time you know clearly an yeah. animal lover has a horrible brother but you know she plays that just so perfectly i, I love how ty stryer plays her character well she's like one of the animals trapped in the pet shop yeah she's trapped in her own cage yeah and it's up to rocky to, to get her out of that cage mm-hmm 
do you know what I mean? With with with, uh, with our brother Paulie, yeah, it's a matter of time to bring Paulie up. And um, I, I love how Rocky always goes in, you know, goes in to try tries to tell her a joke. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's like, like bring her out of her right shell thing. all the time. You know, that's always what he's trying to do because you know Rocky's still a people person. You know, people kind of see through him like he's still, you know, he's he's kind of working for loan sharks in this movie just to get money. And that's why yeah. Mickey kind of looks down on him, like looks at him as a wasted talent because it's like you're working for them. You could do so yeah. much more than that. You you know, you just got to believe in yourself a little bit. But he's just like Talia Stryer's character where, you know, his confidence is in different areas. He's good at talking to people, but, you know, he doesn't have the confidence to take that next step. And she, same thing, she's trapped in this uh, you know, in this pet shop with all these animals, like you said, you know, she's trapped in her own cage. She's got a brother who's just overwhelming all the time, and she, she probably beats her down in a sense, not, you know, physically, but mentally, you know, a little yeah. bit physically. But, uh, you know, so she just feels she has no confidence as well, and the two of them need each other to go to that next step in life. Yeah, and uh, as you said about Rodney, we actually see as well at the very start that even though he's this shitty, we soon find out he's this shitty character because he's backtracking. For a local loan shark, mm-hmm. and um, he's got to break the guy's thumb. Yeah, and he can't bring himself to do it. But you would like to think, you know, if Rocky's had fear, he has done these things then in the past. But he, you can see that he has a bit of a heart because in this particular day, he keeps pity <laughs> on this guy and doesn't do it. Um, which could have got Rocky in deep trouble. Um, I just think that's all funny and all when he says, you know, um, uh, take the coat, you'll get forty or fifty dollars for the coat. And Rocky says, keep the coat, keep the coat. You should have thought ahead. And he's like, ah, I'll tape the hand up like you broke the thumb. He doesn't have to know, I'll tape the hand up. And he's like, should have thought ahead. <laughs> and then obviously Gazo, I, I love a character here I love as well is Gazo. I mean, every single one of these characters, every one of them are so well-rounded. You know, Gazo, I really like Gazo in the movie. And you can tell that Gazo really likes Rocky as well. Yeah. He tells him off about the thumb. And Rocky says, them, oh, I'm sorry about the thumb, it won't happen again. And um, But later on, when, when Rocky gets shot, he actually gives him $500 for, for uh, helping train. I mean, 1976 or 75, that's a hell of a lot of money. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That's a that's a life-changing amount for him. And it's just that he needs it. And that's a good way, again, good writing, to explain how he's able to train for this fight. Because they're not, you know, they're going to pay him for the fight. But to lead up to it, he's got he needs money to train to do it. To get his career yeah, off the ground. He wouldn't get the money until after the fight. Yeah. So still, you need money. I mean, I, mean I, I watch a bit of boxing and I know that, you know, especially fighters coming up, it's the promoters and it's the, um, and uh, I think the, the managers that, that put the money into the young fighters to get them promotion, you know, to, put, to get them, put them on these fights and all the rest of it. You know, a lot of fighters don't make an awful lot of money. Yeah. And, even, and it's only the fighters that are at the top of the tree that actually start to make the big money. You know, fighters don't make an awful lot of money. So that was a really good thing that Gazo done for Rocky, even though he is a very shady character. Um, but that was how that I was saying earlier, John, about this movie. And that's how I love about this movie as well. As we, we, we were messaging and you had said to me, you want to talk about Polly? And I know, <laughs> I've seen online a lot of people are like, why do they keep this guy about He's a bomb, or he's a bomb. He's abusive. He's this. He's that. He's other. But the thing I've got to remember as well is that every single character in this movie is flawed. Every single character has their faults. You know, you know what I mean. And but they also have their goods, their good side too. I mean, I don't think that Rocky, and we see it, is a completely, you know, um, innocent character. You know, he's breaking people's thumbs. He's probably breaking legs. Probably beating people up for Gazo just yeah. to earn money. And. You know, we see Rocky, I mean, talk about favourite scenes of movies. I was watching this film 
and I was sitting thinking, well, what about my favourite scene in this movie? And then I watch a scene and I go, that's my favourite scene. Then another scene was on and I go, that's my favourite scene. Then another scene was on and I go, no, that's my favourite scene. And like, no, I have several favourite scenes in this movie. And one of my first favourite scenes in this movie is when Rocky goes into the gym and he's got his locker taken away and he goes in and confronts Mick. I love that and scene. And that's when we hear, no, it's later on in it. So he confronts Mick um, about, about the locker. But sorry, but it's later on in it when he comes in to get the, the card to go and meet um, Apollo Creed's promoter. Mickey says, to him, there's a guy in here from Creed, wants you to give him a call, says he probably wants sparring partners. And Rocky says, oh, from Creed's place? He's probably looking sparring partners. And he says, that's what I said, you, you dumb, dumbass or something like that. <laughs> and he says, I've been coming in here six years and you've been sticking with me. I want to know why. And that's when he says, because you've been... Because you had the talent to become a good fighter. And instead become a leg breaker. I love all that, that back and forth with him and Mickey. And then obviously later on, that culminates in another great scene that I love when Mickey comes to his apartment to offer his services to be his manager. And Rocky's like, don't need a manager. Don't need anything from you. Where were you when I did need you? Yeah, and but it's not that. It's the fact that when he's leaving, Rocky just unloads on him. All this for us when he leaves the apartment. He doesn't do it when he's there. He can't do it in front of him for some reason. You know, he just can't do it. Maybe because he's an old man, but... It's when he leaves, all this frustration and anger comes out of Rocky, which has been pent up over the years. He's punching the door. But we see the heart on Rocky. Rocky comes down the steps and runs after Mickey. You see Mickey kind of like back off as if Rocky's going to hit him. <laughs> and obviously, no. we just see it. We don't have to hear what Rocky says. I mean, obviously he said, Mick, I'm sorry, no problem. I'll be in the gym tomorrow. You know, something maybe along those lines, that's what he said to Mick, and he runs back. And then we get our first training montage and we know in these movies we always get two training montages and in the later movies they're always like really good training montages but what I love about this movie is the first training montage we see it's not good <laughs> I, I love that scene when he leaves his, his apartment and we hear the music and it's still dark it's four o'clock in the morning whatever it may be it's a rocky theme, but it's kind of really slowed down and it's a wee bit more kind of empathetic. And as dawn breaks and you see him kind of run up them steps. He's huffing, he's puffing, he just about makes it up the steps. And when he turns and you just see like the city. Yeah. It's early morning. And when he passes, like, I think it's the news truck, isn't it? And it's like people are only getting up and starting to go to work where he's been up training for the last few hours, just showing you that he's taking this serious. And the way the music kind of like... Kind of escalates. Off, yeah. Yeah, it, it kind of just drifts off. And John, as, as, as the morning, the day, day breaks, um, as if there, you know, there's no real hope there. You know what I mean? He's trying, but there's no real hope there. Yeah. I, I just love that. Oh, yeah. That's that's one of the best scenes in the movie. Obviously, both montages are great, but what I love, I, again, I love it when they turn on the city, too, because you get the lights, honestly. Like, you can see the lights in the city, which I love that yeah. shot. And the smoke. Yeah, like it really gets that, that early morning feel. I love it when a movie can capture yes. that. Like people love sunsets, but I love the early morning rise of like because like you said, it's quiet. Like all you hear are like yeah. anything in real life. All you hear are like birds and like that's really it. Like it's just so quiet, calm and peaceful. And then as everyone starts to rise mm -hmm. up and everything like that, and that's when yeah. he's going up the stairs. 
And um, I, I have to bring it up, but the, uh, this movie gets a lot of credit for being the first film to use a Steadicam because that's how they're able to follow. Right. But uh, they did use it before this in Marathon Man. <laughs> but it's really per- to perfection here how they're able to follow him up the stairs like that, and you know, doesn't have that handheld look to it. Exactly, and I, I can't remember if like it's used as good to the use of in the, in the first training montage. I know that obviously the, the main training montage, which you know, every time you hear it. It just gives you, it gives me goosebumps when I watch it in this movie, and um, you know you feel like you can go out and run a marathon afterwards. And you oh can yeah! Probably just run down the street and then you uh, go back here again. But um, <laughs> did they use it for the first training montage? Because the camera it does seem a wee bit jargon. It would make sense if they didn't use it for the first one. I don't think they did. I mean, they did mostly, but like, uh, I don't think they used the steady cam throughout the entire movie. I just know that they used it specifically to go up the stairs to keep it looking straight on instead of like, like bouncing around. But yeah, when they're in the yeah. streets, I think they might be on a steady. They might be on like, um, like walking backwards with it, and it's in somebody's hand to stay like to give it that like grittier look to it. Because like you said, the first yeah. montage is like, you know, it's kind of like the beginning of it. The training, he's not fully a hundred percent. In the second montage, exactly, he's, he's ready to go. He's uh, dialed in. And that's why the score is heavier. Oh, yeah. He's not out of breath when he gets to the top. He can do it again if he wanted to. So they built it up perfectly. That's why you have the two montages to see where we started and then to see where he's ready to go. And that second montage, like, of the, when they do the wage shot of Stallone running and the boat and all in the background, you can see parts of Philadelphia and stuff like that. I love that. And um, when I was watching some of the making of, like, the, the director was in a van and um, the guy with the camera. Or maybe it had been the cameraman. It may have been actually the Steadicam operator. I can't remember. But this is the guy that was driving the van. Actually, he was the age person. Because I think that's this one. You can believe it. <laughs> so he is actually going really fast. Yeah, I mean, he's an athlete. <laughs> yeah. Freaking Rocky. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And I mean, I know you're a big score guy. And uh, what do you think of this score? Love this score. I mean, who, who couldn't? No, I, mean, I know. The main score is one of the most famous scores of all time. But what I love about it, it's not just the main score. It's outside of the main the main theme. As I said, though, the first montage music is one of my favorites. But I think that the, going, the, the tune, which is called Going the Distance, which is actually the tune to play at the end of the movie when he's fighting Creed, that is outstanding as well. I like it more in the second movie when it's Rocky's first training montage. I think it works well in the second movie. But uh, obviously it was written for that. And then there's like a more slower version played, a more solemn version played um, over the ending credits as well, which is brilliant. Yeah, they do a great job with the score of this movie. Obviously, it's most famous for its theme. I just want to see what you got, what you thought of the rest of the score of this movie because I do think it's a very well done score. And I was doing a little bit of research on it. I think they had to make the score for this one pretty fast as well. So it's like everything. So it's it's really incredible how they're able to capture that, and then building up to the big fight scene at the end. You know, to capture that, it's not the best of all the Rocky movies when it comes to the fight. Obviously, because they get better as they go along when they get more money. I still think it is a great emotional fight. Yeah. Um, first of all, the score is actually like what you're saying there, but it's, it's good how it, it kind of builds up to the, the main um, kind of fly fly and I thing. You know, it's very uplifting. Yeah. You know, we just hear the piano. We hear we bits and pieces here and there. And then, as I said, you hear a kind of I'm not sure about the variation on it, but that first training montage, you kind of hear it. It's very slow, and you hear the horns and the piano, and it's you know it's a wee bit more kind of 
um, on the lawn, you know, like that, a wee bit more depressing, and it builds up to that. And, um, but yes, watching this fight in this movie, you know, for me it was always kind of in the series one of my least favourites, but no, it served its purpose, and I think a lot of it's down to budget. Or, like, um, I was actually heard an interview with Bill Conte who done the score, and he says that he asked, could he see, like, um, dailies from the movie, could see part of the movie so he could write the score and, and they said they couldn't afford a projector to show him it so he had to write it just through the script you know what i mean that's, and that's crazy unbelievable and that's what he said when he made the second movie he had a lot more money so he was able to use a lot more kind of um or orchestration you know he's able to get more trumpets in there and stuff more violinists and things like that but um it's, i think it's the same with the fight in this and i thought it was actually very funny that Stallone was saying about the fight at the end they actually choreographed the fight you know, they choreographed every punch, you know, everything that was thrown, they choreographed everything and they done it like a dance. So they knew, you know, if, if Creed throws a one-two, Rocky would try and duck and then throw a left, you know, and then Creed would move out of the way and things like that. But um, Stallone had actually said they, they had hired, like apparently one of the best big choreographers in Hollywood or the best. And he done all the, these boxing movies. And apparently uh, Stallone said, I would like Creed to come out in the first round and throw you know, four punches in the face and the fake choreographer says you can't do that and Stallone disagreed with him. So he walked off the show and Stallone thought he was in big trouble because this was like the neat guy you get in Hollywood. He says it actually was a godsend. He says because the director then said to Stallone, well, you're the writer. Why don't you go home and write the fight out? You know, if you can write dialogue, write it out. Like, you know, Apollo throws a left and a right, Rocky throws a right, you know, blah, blah, blah. So um, Stallone done that, and that's and, and I think they've done that through all the movies after that. Every single fight is choreographed, and they're certainly actually, they actually film the fight first, nine and the sequels to get that out of the way. It's just the, the dummies themselves or something, you know? Yeah, they got hurt, both of them, in this fight, actually. And I think that's they got the opposites, they got the opposite injuries of what their characters got. I think Apollo really got hurt in the eye, while Rocky really got hurt in the ribs. And, like, they both had to go to the hospital. <laughs> so, I mean, when you're doing fake fighting, unfortunately, you know, you gotta get as close as you can, and sometimes you go a little too far. And I guess they both understood that's how it works when you're in the ring. Like you said, it's a dance. They choreographed yeah. it. Actually, um, one of the extras on the 4K... You probably have already seen it. It's uh, eight millimeter footage of them in the ring, actually shot by the no sound or nothing, but it actually just shows like how they they had that chemistry and they were just trying to perfect that to make it look as real as possible by the time they got to it. And then obviously the sequels, you know, budgets are a big deal. That's what really holds back. I think this is one of the weaker ones as well, but you know, I understand. And as long as it builds to that conclusion uh, perfectly, which it does, then it's fine. Yeah, and like watching it again um, the other night, you know, to me, the fight in the first one, I think the sixth one people will say is the most realistic fight. I don't know what I don't like about the sixth fight. And listen, it's a movie, you know, dramatic license. The fight in the sixth movie, and they have a lot of like close ups of Rocky kind of in his corner, and then it cuts to like black and white, and then it does cutbacks to like Mickey, and I think Adrian's grave and things like that. It takes you kind of out of the fight. Yeah. Know? But at least this fight, when I'm sitting watching this, it's almost like the camera's right already in the ring with them. And it's kind of like outside the ropes. So you're kind of like a spectator in the ring watching the fight. Um, to me, that fight was very kind of realistic. You know, I thought the fight in the first one was very realistic compared to the sequels. You know? Oh, yeah, they become more cinematic. I don't know these really over-the-top special effects. So as much as I love the fight in the second one, love the fight in the second one, love the fight in the third one, and the fourth one. You know, But they put in these over-the-top special effects. 
you know, like when the punch lands, as soon as they get bombs going off. Yeah, <laughs> I know. That's one thing. I mean, I haven't seen Creed three yet, but I've heard that they cut into like animation, like uh, it, like because Michael B. Jordan was uh, he's a big fan of anime, so he kind of edited the fight like that for the third for Creed three, which I always kind of want when you watch all the Rocky movies in order. It is pretty cool to see that. They don't ever really repeat themselves when it comes to fights, and they always try to do something different, which I really do appreciate because, you know, boxing movies, it can get boring if you don't see something different. And even with all the Rocky movies, I still think that some of the best filmmaking when it comes to boxing was done in Raging Bull just because of what they were trying to illustrate with the drama of uh, taking the camera further and further out of the ring as his head, you know, gets further and further outside of the ring. I like that cinematic nature to that, but... I do like that they didn't repeat themselves, but you're right. With Rocky One, it is definitely more realistic, and I like how they're outside the ring a lot more in that. Yeah, it's it's more realistic. I think you know um, I understand what you're saying about the artistic settings. I have seen Creed Three, and there is a bit in the movie where it's basically when Creed's fighting the opponent, that it darkens down, uh, and, and there's no crowd, and it's black in the background. I can't remember what else happens, but it's just him and the guys fighting. Ah, uh, okay. You know, so it feels a little more intimate, a little more personal. I heard people complain about it, but it didn't bother me. I, you know, it is what it is. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the Creed movies anyway, but I did enjoy Creed three. I enjoyed Creed and Creed two and Creed three. Just don't think they're in the same league as the Rocky movies, to be honest. But that's a different story. I think that the problem with the Creed series is that they're very reliant on the Rocky series. Like when you were talking about Rocky three. And, like, the storyline of Rocky 3, you can argue, or was it Rocky 3? Like, you can argue that the storyline, no, um, which one was it? It's Rocky 3 with Mr. T, where how he was coming out of prison. That's very similar to, like, Jonathan Major's character in Creed 3, isn't it? So they kind of repeat their storylines a little bit. And you could argue Creed 1 is a retelling of Rocky. Yeah, exactly. That's the problem I have with the Creed movie, strong, to be honest with you. Creed 3, or a lot of people said as well, it's a lot make Rocky 5 as well because this is a childhood friend. They're friends at the start. And then, you know, I don't want to read it for anybody who hasn't seen it, but they're, because it is relatively new, but they're friends at the start and they become adversaries. And a lot of people said oh, Rocky, Rocky 5 was that. The biggest problem with Rocky 5 was, you know, we didn't fake Tommy Gunn in the ring. No. You know what I mean? And, and then they fake in the ring in Creed 3. But yes, I agree with you. I just feel as if Creed, Creed, Creed was just a retread of, of Rocky. But I just didn't think, the problem I have with it was the characters. I just don't think Michael B. Jordan's Creed as compelling as Rocky Balboa. And that's fair enough because you couldn't have somebody playing rocky again because that would be too obvious but it's not only that what makes it for what makes rocky for me even the sequels is the same characters it's adrian it's Polly, and the opponents i just find that apollo creed is more interesting than tony Bellew, who's a real fighter over here um this side of the world and i've been watching his fights for years and then he was in um creed and i just moved in the head around that you know and then and, 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 and as i say mr t Grew up watching, but Brennan Villain and even Avon Drago, who's different than Mr. Peace or Clubber Nine, you know, great villain. What a great, great movie villain. I just, and Victor Drago was good as well. I, then is a bit strange. Creed 2 for me, I enjoyed Creed 2 more than Creed 1, but Creed 1 is a better movie. I agree. I actually agree with you on both those things. I enjoy Creed 2 more than Creed 1. I like bringing Drago back. I always found Dolph Lundgren, like, I always, I always think he's a very interesting actor because the guy's apparently a genius. 
and the character he's most known for barely speaks and is just essentially a robot but i'm like oh this guy's and i was glad that they fleshed out that character that's a character i wanted to see get fleshed out and i was glad okay it's a legacy sequel uh you know these can be hit or miss and i was like okay they fleshed him out and showed like why he was the way he was how he's a product of his nation and you know he's trying to do the best that he can do and i really love that they fleshed that out and especially showing the relationship now with his kid and how he's yeah. basically pushing on to him what was pushed on the onto himself. Uh, I love that aspect of that movie. Well, the movie was about fathers and sons, wasn't it? Stallone saying that. And yeah. Stallone wrote the second one. And um, I actually, you're right. I, I the most interesting part of Creed Three was the Dragos, and um, that's the reason why I couldn't wait to see it because I, I love the Rocky series. And as much as like I don't rank Rocky Four as high as some of the others, I still love Rocky Four. Stallone get criticized for that, you know, because it was kind of like oh. It's, about Creed, you know, you're kind of hijacking a bit, but his characters at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But I just don't, um, as I say, I just don't read the Creed movies as highly as I do the Rocky movies, even the cheesy ones. Um, and it's because of the characterizations. And I know that you've been busting the talk about this. We're going to talk about Paulie. Yeah, <laughs> Paulie. You know his character. He, he's one of a kind. I never could understand that like, he's kind of a little bit abusive to his sister, and like you, we were talking like just through Messenger about how he, you know, he's Rocky's best friend. He's kind of looking out for Rocky. He's doing like, you know, like, go date my sister, which is weird. He's kind of pushing his sister onto his buddy, which is, you know, very strange, kind of whoring her out a little bit. I don't know how I feel about that. But I, I think it's hard. Like you said, everyone operates kind of in the gray area. They all have flaws. At the end of the day, he cares about his sister. And he's like, Rocky's like one of the best guys I know. But then when Rocky starts to get a little successful, Paulie right away gets jealous. <laughs> It just starts being kind of a dick to Rocky, and then Rocky's the one who feels bad <laughs> and like throws him a bone. It's like, oh, I'll I'll promote, you know, I'll promote the store for you. Don't worry about it. We'll make it work. You know, you come out with me too because we're friends. And he's he rides Rocky's coattails through the entire series. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I know I've seen the, like when we were watching things on YouTube, people over their own channels about you know movies and things. You know, why does Rocky put up those guys? You get rid of him and all the rest. But my, my attitude is, is that I, I've said earlier um, on about these are all flawed characters, right? Mm-hmm. They've all got problems. They've all got conflict with each other. You know, they're always snipe with each other, fave with each other, but they need each other. Do you know what I mean? They do. Um, I just find that Rocky and Polly are, are friends that go way back. You know, Polly probably doesn't have any other friends. Probably not. Rocky doesn't have any other friends. So they kind of need each other. Polly and Rocky one is 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 the most fleshed out and rounded he's ever been. After the first movie, as I said earlier, earlier drafts were darker, and I think as the series went on, he became more of a of a punchline. Paul, he became a punchline, you know? And that's that's okay. I mean, I can live with that. He's never a bigger punchline than he is in Rocky Four. Oh, he's a know? joke in Rocky Four, And that's why when you see... Exactly. When you get the new um, cut of the movie, he's pretty much not in it because they cut out his whole storyline, essentially. <laughs> I didn't like that either, but they thought that they took out some of the funny stuff he said as well, you know, But because I was used to it by then, you know, it's not like I was, I'm was. i sitting going, oh, I don't like the fact that he's a punch in Rocky 3 or 4, why she wasn't in it, you know what I mean? It's just the way the series evolved, because all the characters evolved, I mean, I mean, even like um, Tyler Shores, you know, she was a lot stronger in Rocky 3 and 4 and 5 than she was in Rocky 2 and 1, do you know what I mean? They all changed, they all evolved, but I think that Polly and this is the strongest that Polly's ever been, till maybe... Um, Rocky Balboa 
I think you just saying there about Pimp and his sister, like, obviously Rodney really likes Adrian and really wants to get with her. But it just crossed my mind, throughout the movie, Polly kept saying to Rodney, did you tell Gazo about me? Did you tell Gazo about me? I'd go work for Gazo. You think Polly was thinking, here, go with my sister, but here, do this thing with Gazo for me? Because oh. you notice his attitude changed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, he's very persistent. You're right. He's always bothering him about that. And Paulie, he's selfish at the end of the day. So, of course, he would use his sister. He would use Rocky to help himself. But I always felt like he's just, he's he's lost. Like, I don't know, like, what his background oh, yeah. is. I don't know, like, what his childhood is. Like, he's definitely, like, the stronger of the two of them between his, him and his sister. So he's out there, you know, making money for them. And I get I get that that's what it is. Like, maybe something in their childhood happened, and that's why Adrian's the way that she is and Paulie's the way that he is, because they're just opposite sides of the spectrum. So I don't know. Like, clearly there's some pain in his past to make somebody act that way all the time. And I think Rocky understands that. And like you said, they probably old yeah. friends that go way, way back, don't have anyone else. So Rocky can see past all his flaws and he tries to smooth it always over with other people. Like, yeah, that's just, that's kind of how he is. You know, unfortunately, yeah. he's a flawed person, but deep down, he means well. Yeah, and exactly. And that's, that's uh, the, my initial thoughts, to be honest with you, John, um, is that it's quite obvious that Paulie's jealous of Rocky, the attention that Rocky's getting, mm-hmm. and um, the fact he's been given this shot. Um, he's always trying to warm his way in when he hears on the TV, which is one of my favorite scenes as well, when Rocky's <laughs> on the TV, and he says, about, I want to say, I had him a girlfriend, and he goes, hey, yo, Adrian, it's me, Rocky, I'm on TV. And then he's, you hear him saying, like, uh, stop pushing me, man, I'll punch you in the mouth. <laughs> and he better to push him off the stage, he's like, stop pushing me, man, I'll punch you in the mouth. <laughs> um, but he hears that Rocky's getting, what, is it 100,000 for fight or something? Yeah. And you see, like, Paulie looking, and then Paulie starts saying to him, well, maybe you need somebody to help you out, Rock. You know what I mean? So, so he's... he's he, I think, like you say, deep down he means well. So then he becomes jealous. You won't, you won't, you won't get me in with Gazo. You won't want me in your corner. And you're right. I think that Polly is kind of lost in his own life. They're, they're all lost in their own life. Mickey's lost. Mickey's this old broken down trainer running around uh, sneaky gym, and you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, with no prospects whatsoever. And then you've got Rocky. Where's his life going? That's going nowhere. Adrian's life's going nowhere. And Polly's the same. And you were saying about something about in their backgrounds. I always took it that the, that they were orphans. I always took it that Polly was maybe a good bit older than Adrian. Um, well, say good, but he could be maybe five or six years older than Adrian. So um, he kind of looked like we we're talking about Ari Green and Sago. He was looking after Adrian as well. But then Adrian became, she's that kind of um, shy and introverted that she didn't know how to break out of her, of her kids, so to speak. And she was, you heard her saying later on when she raises up in the film and, and actually confronts Polly and says, I owe you nothing. I do your cooking. I, I pick up your dirty washing. I do the cleaning. You know, you've made me feel like a loser. You know what I mean? And she got that strength through her relationship with Rocky, seeing what he was doing. You know what I mean? Stepping up when he, when he was asked to fight the heavyweight champion of the world. And I just think that um, he was a bit broken down. You see a photograph of um, Polly and make is it a, a Navy uniform on, on the sideboard? Something like that. One of those military uniforms. Yeah, which... so he could have had a military background as well. So I, I think you're right, John, as well. I think, yes, they're all flawed characters, and I think that he just feels as if he's one of these guys that as well. He has, he feels probably thinking, where, where's my life going as well? You see him when he's when he's still having Rocky. I think he's giving him the meat. 
uh, and then he, he gets the television crew in when Rocky doesn't want them to as well because like, he feels as if he must be part of it you know what I mean yeah and then later on when he spews it over with Rocky another great small scene I like after the, the fight he has with Rocky in um, his house and he threatens to break his arms um, later on he comes in and he says here Rocky um, if I can make some money off your name would you mind and it shows you the character of Rocky Rocky says sure if you can make money off my name you do it, Polly. But I laugh later on when, when uh, Mickey says, "What's that saying on your back?" And he says, "Oh, oh it's advertising Polly's meat company." And he says, "What do you get out of it?" He says, uh, "Polly gets three grand. I get to keep the roll." <laughs> Mickey said, "Rude." But when, he, when Rocky's getting into the ring, you hear the commentators actually saying, "What's that on his back?" There it says, uh, "It's uh, some uh, meat company, Schrambach Meats." Um, but I have to laugh as well when Rocky's coming to the ring. Polly steps out with this woman and says, "Here, Rock, how do you like the woman? She cost me two hundred dollars, and she says two hundred and fifty." Yeah, I love that. They are, and granted, it's great. It does show the flaws, and then just does show the the good hearted nature of Rocky. Like you know, what he can make the money off my name. I don't really care. That's not really what I'm in it for. A lot of it, he's in it for respect. Like to show that he can do something other than what he's been doing. Show that get the respect of the rest of the, you know, the people around him. Show that the people that he's around aren't poor bums who just live in Philadelphia floating through life. Like it means more than just money. And if Paulie wants to make money, and that's what he cares about. It's not hurting anyone, I guess, for him to use my name. <laughs> yeah, and as you said earlier, John, I think Rocky deep down understands the frustration uh, that Paulie's feeling uh, because we've seen Rocky vent with that frustration throughout the movie. He vents at Gazzo, he vents at Mickey, and ultimately, I mean, I, I, I think some people misunderstand that scene as well with Mickey when Mickey comes to the apartment. Um, I don't think Mickey's an opportunist. I actually think that Mickey Jackson does want to help Rocky. Um, and I think that it's just um, a misunderstanding and a clash um, of personalities between them. Because as you said earlier on, John, is that Mickey knows and sees that, that Rocky had potential and he is not fulfilling it. And that is why when he says, why didn't you help me all those years ago? I mean, Mickey probably would have. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, isn't there a bit where Mickey goes... Um, you didn't ask or something and he says well where were, we, where were you Mick when, when I when I asked for your help and he says yeah you didn't ask and he says I did ask but you didn't listen so listen kid hey look hey Mick look, I need your help about 10 years ago right 10 years ago right. you never helped me you... I say I think when Mickey comes to that apartment Mickey, Mickey cares about Rocky and really wants him to do well um, doesn't want him to get bothered about her he knows that Rocky can't do it all by himself and that's why he's always offering his services and saying, look, I want to really help you with this. And when Apollo puts Rocky down, I think in the 14th round, he tells him to stay down because he he, he thinks that Rocky's took enough of a beat. He doesn't want him to suffer anymore. He yeah. always proved everybody wrong, you know, that he's won 14 rounds at that stage with the heavyweight champion world team. He's not a bum. Yeah, you did enough. You showed, you proved it to everyone, you proved it to me. And I, I think that, again, like when Mickey's character, he is just, he's lost as well and you know he doesn't he's you're right he's not like paulie he's not trying to make a buck off of rocky i think he's it's sad for him to look at rocky have that potential and from his generation he's an older guy it's just tough love like i'm not gonna 
you know, I'm not going to kiss your ass, but that's what you want. You want somebody to kiss your ass. No, I'm going to tell you that you need to do the work yourself. Yeah. I'll help you do the work, but you have to be willing to put it all on the line. Like you have the potential to be great. And then that's why he's like at the very end of the movie, like, yeah, but he's telling him to stay down. It's like, you proved it. You did all the work. You don't need to do more. Yeah. But Rocky... You don't need to get beat on anymore. Yep, exactly. You don't need to take the beating. But Rocky feels like he's got to finish the fight. And for him, that's all he wanted to do. He made sure to point that out. And, you know, he's like, I don't think I can win. I, I just want to, you know, finish it. And and he does. He succeeded in his goal in the end. He gets the girl and everyone gets to go home happy, even if he doesn't get to win the fight. And I think that he was supposed to... Uh, it, the original intention was, you know, he'd retire and that was it. He had his moment in the sun and before they decided to yeah. make sequels. And, and I think that happens in the sequels. But when the Rocky Two another time, if you want to do Rocky Two at some stage, but yeah, that happens in Rocky Two, doesn't it? That the fact he starts getting forgot about, people don't know who he is. Love that scene in Rocky Three where he was in for the job. And somebody says to him, "I heard, I heard you were a fighter. I heard, I heard you were really good. Why don't you fight?" And it's and and, and rather than saying, "Oh, you're Rocky Balboa. I watched your fight with Apollo Creed," they're like, "Oh, I, I heard you fought." So that starts to happen in Rocky Two. But it's almost this kind of. Um, feeling through John that Mickey going back to Mickey again that he he, he was potentially a favorite that didn't fulfill yeah. his potential and he sees that himself in Rocky so there, maybe there could be that as well yeah like well, you're right he's he met yes he gets to manage a gym but he's an old man running a gym with a bunch of people you know who aren't going to be successful and probably like him he had the chance possibly in his past Mickey to be a successful fighter Missed his opportunity, and he's like, I could see that that's the same path you're heading down. If you don't make a change, this is where you'll be in 40, 50 years. You'll be just like me, miserable looking back on your life on missed opportunities. And I see it, and I'm not going to stick around to watch it, and that's why he kicks him out of the gym. Yeah, that's right. And I, I like Big Dipper Brown, and he says, you rock. I dig your locker, man. <laughs> <laughs> I know that is great. <laughs> is, is it brilliant? I love that scene where he goes in, he says, you, you know what happened to my locker? But then he tries to justify it later on when he goes in to speak to Adrian. And he says to Adrian, I bet you know, got my locker took off me today. Ah, it doesn't matter, you know, lockers are bad. I had about $20 stored in it over the last six years. <laughs> <laughs> Put the positive twist on. Yeah. There's all these pictures which Dippers put up. Yeah, the guy really just made himself right at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I never got. I never did that. Hung things up in a locker. <laughs> I don't think I ever had a locker. They gave us lockers in <laughs> school. Rocky. Yeah. <laughs> they gave us lockers in school, and I literally never used it because they also only gave us three minutes in between periods. So I'm like, how am I going to a locker? <laughs> No, listen, we didn't even have lockers in our school. No? You just had your bag and that was it. And you brought your bag with you. You brought your school bag. You packed your school bag up and then you moved on to the next period. And then at lunchtime, you had to bring your bag into the classroom you were going into after lunch. Ah. Well, I had the chance to use the locker, but I just did what you did. I would bring a bag. Honestly, once I got to high school, I got really lazy and I would just carry one notebook with me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we got all these books that you would, you would have, say, you could give you like a geography book. Do you know what I mean? And you would have like, for example, an English book and then, you know, whatever it is you were doing. Yeah. Science, whatever. But then again, you know, you had your timetable, your schedule for the week. So it was like, you know, you mightn't do every class every day. You may have three periods a week. 
kind of maybe certain times. And sometimes one of your peers you would do maybe two classes a day. So you'd have one in the morning, one in the afternoon as well. So it was worked out that way. So you didn't need the same books every single day, but you had a different chatter for each class. Yeah. You know? Yeah, we pretty much had that, but I would uh <laughs> I would just not bring the textbooks. Like a lot of time they had some, <laughs> they would have them in the class. Yeah. So I, I just, I worked out a system for me to carry as little as possible. And it worked for yeah, four so, years. So I may as well, may as well, may as well not have taken the textbooks. Didn't do me any good in the long run. Didn't yeah. Rocky here. My potential has never been fulfilled. Uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. I always look back at high school as uh, missed opportunities. If I would have just took it a little bit seriously while I was there, maybe I wouldn't be where I am today. <laughs> yeah, I need, I need a Mickey in my life to tell me where I went wrong and just kind of like give me a kick off the back chain. Everyone needs that. <laughs> Tough love. Tough love works more than babying, I think. <laughs> yeah. So, anything else you got to say about Rocky before we wrap this one up? No, I think I've covered everything on, on Rocky. I really love this movie. Um, it's just, as I said in one of our last podcasts, John, just the older I get now, I'm, maybe I'm turning into a grumpy old man. Maybe I'm turning into Mickey myself, you know, rather than Rocky. Missed opportunities and all that. But I just feel as if a lot of modern cinema doesn't do it for me anymore. And the older I get, I go back and I revisit the old classics. And I just, I love them even more and more. You know, even the movies I grew up with and I've seen them a million times. I had Rocky on the other night and like, I've watched Rocky a few times in the last few years. And it's kind of because I've seen the movie, you know, you've got it on and maybe you go on your phone or maybe, you know what I mean? But when I sat watching the other night, because we're doing it for the pod, I, I try to stay off my phone and I just sit and I watch it. And I just really, really enjoy it. And it's the same when I went back and I watched Raiders and movies they got. I just really, really enjoy watching these old movies again. And that's why it's been in my top ten for a long time now. And it's it's still there. Like, it's still one of my favorite films of all time. It's really funny that you said that about, like, going back and watching the classics in comparison to modern film. Like, I review modern film on the channel, too. And it's just so hard. I never get the same feeling as I do with, like, older 70s, 80s, even 90s movies. Like, I just rewatched The Fugitive this week and... You know, I lo I've watched that movie a hundred times, but it's amazing. I watch it, I'm like, I just want a movie to come out that's as good as this and make me feel like this movie did. It's just, they don't come along like that anymore. Maybe you get one or two a year that you go, I'll be revisiting that like forever, but not like how they used to. And I, I don't want to be a cliche and say that, that they don't make them like they used to, but they really don't. They don't make movies like Rocky anymore. They don't, they just don't feel honest to me. The actors don't feel real to me. No situations they're in don't feel real, as far as the facts doesn't look real. I just feel as if we're like on the road of living in a computer game. And uh, when I watch a, a gritty movie like Rocky, seventies movies, I feel even though I wasn't around in the seventies, and they are products of their time, very seventies looking and all, sounding seventies, even eighties. Yeah, but the people are real, and you can relate to them, and that that's the difference. You know, with a movie like Rocky, everybody, that's why it's so popular, that's why it's done so well. Everybody can relate to Rocky. And if you can't relate to Rocky, you might relate to Polly. If you don't relate to Polly, you might relate to Mickey or Adrian. No, but I, I can relate to all, all those characters. Even uh, Powell Creepy, a certain extent, I can relate to Powell because he's not perfect either. He has his flaws. And um, that, that's what makes it so great. Yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah, Apollo Creed, like, you know, we kind of, we, we talked about him, but yeah, like, the cockiness and arrogance, you know, everybody yes. can fall to that point, like, when you get to a certain point, they start to illustrate it in the later Rocky movies, like, when you get too comfortable, you forget, like, where you came from, like, what got you to that point, 
And if you don't, draw yourself back. And I love that about Apollo. He does bring himself back. He never, ever becomes a villain. He is the rivalry yeah. to Rocky, but he's never a villain in this series. He's a regular guy who got successful and had to realize that, you know what, he got successful for a certain reason, and he's got to come falling back down to earth and realize where he came from. And that's why I love the Apollo character. Well, he becomes more of a villain in the second movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but never oversteps the mark, really, because the telling is a very telling, you know, you know, if you do this, you're setting yourself up as the bad guy. And he's like, I don't care, whatever gets him in the ring. So you still see a human side of him in Rocky too, especially when he's with his kids mm-hmm. um, and his wife and he's getting all these hate, hate letters, you know what I mean? And really on his mind. And do you know the funny thing is, John, as well, is, you know, art imitates life, life imitates art. You know, as I've said, like Stallone is borrowed from um, um, the history of boxing and all the rest. We have seen this story of Rocky play out for Rocky and after Rocky, time and time again. Fighters out there, you don't learn. Very topical at the minute. Same thing happened with Tyson Fury yep. only last month when he fought in Ghana. And somebody had said it, I was listening to a boxing podcast, I thought of myself anyway, you know, but somebody said it says, go match Rocky, that was in Ghana and Tyson Fury. And Ghana was given a shot, nobody gave him a chance. Thought that Tyson Fury was going to destroy him. Ngani floored, floored him and went the distance, and people said Ngani won the fight. Yeah. That's exactly what happens in Rocky. And that's a and movie. I've seen it as well. <laughs> Sorry, mate, go ahead. And I was like, then that's a movie, so that just shows you. <laughs> like... That just shows you, you know what I mean? And, and to be honest, we've seen it like Buster Douglas when he knocked out Mike Tyson. Oh, that Nobody was huge. Buster Douglas a chance. No. But the thing was as well is that, you know, Tyson. Uh, took his eye off the ball. Tyson became complacent. Tyson didn't really train. Tyson thought to himself, "I've knocked out guys that he that have knocked him out. I don't need to try as hard as I normally do." And the same thing probably with Tyson Fury when he fought in Ghana. He thought, "This guy's never fought um, boxing fight before. I'm never be a champion. You know, I I I don't have to maybe work as hard or you know as I normally do." Mm-hmm. And, and that's Apollo Creed in, yep. in the first Rocky. And that then happens to Rocky in Rocky Three. Yep. But we can talk about Rocky Three. It's, Maybe it's some other thing, but yeah, uh, it's yeah a, as I say, so it's it's, it's, it's just very. I was just gonna say, it, yeah, I agree. I just a hundred percent agree for you. It's just very rare, and it, it it's always happens in history. But it doesn't matter if it's a director, an actor. Eventually, they just get. You know, it's human nature. You just get complacent. You know, you never really remember. You're, you know, you're humble for a while, but as time goes on, you, everything becomes routine, and you kind of just lose your way. And you always need, like, you need Buster Douglas to come along and knock you on your ass to go, hey, yep. that's what it is. You know, you lost your eye. You, you did. You kept your. You didn't keep your eye on the ball long enough. You know, I'm here. I'm on the up. You've already been here for a long enough time. I'm going to knock you down. It's my time now. And it, it happens yeah. all the time in any sport. And, and, it, and it happens in Rocky Three. says about Dad, the Tiger. It's about having the hunger. And like, in real life, it's like, you know, I can't remember which fighter it was. Was it Marvin Hagler or some fighter? I can't remember. says it's hard to get up and go on five morning when you're sleeping in some seats. And that's the whole thing. You see the squalor that Rocky is living in. And that's what I mean about that scene when he gets up and does his first training. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark has four in the morning. It's freezing cold. He's cold in his clothes. You know, he cracks them eggs and downs them eggs. I don't think people do that anymore. I um, hope not. But when he goes out in the freezing cold and starts running, you know, we see it in Rocky Three. seen it in history. When people have a lot of money, there's less reason. And they're, and they're van and a heated room bedroom whatever it's harder 
rolled out of bed at four in the morning and do a bloody six mile run. Mm-hmm. You know, not that I've ever done that, but I can imagine. <laughs> and these guys are hungry. There's no money. They're fighting for bread. You know what I mean? They're they're fighting to put food on their plates. And when you've got all the money in the world and you don't have to work as hard, that's when you become a wee bit more complacent. Yep, it's just that. I don't. think that's what happened to Apollo as well. You know, you had nothing. Apollo had nothing left to prove. If this fictional character with 40 wins, 40 knockouts, nobody wants to fight him. You know, he thinks he's better than all of them anyway. Um, he's got nothing left to prove. He probably he just came complacent. He could have retired there and that's it, but he didn't. Um, he, he, it was all about him. He wanted to uh, keep himself in the spotlight and then he was putting the vice engineer into bit of a circus and all about himself and he, he, he came back to him. yep it's that's it it's like he could have easily just played a character where he was just an angry villain like you know like you know i don't care but like he does have a, still a heart to him and that's why the tony character is great he's the one trying to draw him back to pay attention you know it'd be like because he, he came up with him he's a friend of his he's like i don't want to see you go but i i know where you're heading but, you know, he's got to learn that lesson for himself, no matter how many times he warns him. And that's why I love it in the first round. He shakes that knockdown off and, like, all right, let me refocus. <laughs> exactly. The long count. Yep. And the long count. He was down for 10. Save you once again. Count it. He's down for longer than 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe, they'll, maybe he'll go in. last round, too. Yeah. See that last round? Yeah. It was probably was long. Three minutes. No. I, I, I believe it. But, you know, we got to get to where we got to get. Adrian's hat's got to fly off. You know? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't about that. It was about, it wasn't about Rocky no. beating Apollo. It was about him earning self-respect. Yep, but he'll win. He'll, he'll get his dad. love of his life. Yeah, he does get Adrian in the end. Which, you know what? That's the biggest win of them all. I but... wonder if she get her hat back. I know. I'm sure someone picked it up and brought it to her. I love that, though. Hey, Adrian, where'd your hat go? <laughs> yeah, where's your hat? Where's your hat? <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, guys, thank you for being here with another episode of Let's uh, of the Let's Talk podcast with me and David. We'll be around for another one in the near future. Uh, and uh, if you guys want to continue to support the channel, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, maybe join channel memberships. Just get out in those streets of Philadelphia and tell your friends about us. We'll be seeing you around. Mm-hmm.